Welcome to episode number three. In this episode, I wanted to talk about the new MacBook Pros that were announced on October the 27th at Apple's Hello Again event. And more specifically, I wanted to talk about the criticisms surrounding the new MacBook Pros. Because from where I stood, there was quite a bit of it, more than usual. And I want to take the time to deconstruct that criticism and share how I feel. One of the biggest points of criticism that I saw around the new MacBook Pros are that they're not adequately serving the needs of quote-unquote pros. Now, the definition of pro varies depending on who you ask. But when I see the criticism that Apple is no longer serving the needs of pros, what I hear is that Apple is not serving the needs of people who need more. More CPU, more GPU, more ports, more RAM. You get the idea. And what I think is creating this line of criticism is that Desktop class users are projecting their needs onto a laptop not designed to fulfill these needs. And this is just simply because Apple hasn't been taking care of the Mac Pro and the Mac Mini, their their Mac desktops. These computers, they just, they haven't been updated in years. And as a result, customers that would have bought desktop Macs don't see a future with Apple's desktop Macs anymore and are projecting their desktop class needs onto a laptop and in the process not really finding what they hoped for. And look, some laptops and even some Apple laptops in the past have shared the goals of having more with a desktop, but that really hasn't been the case for a long time now. Apple's Pro Series laptops are designed to balance power, battery life, a great display with portability, design, and forward-looking choices. And I think when you look at the MacBook Pro in that context, that it delivers really well on that promise. And look, every decision they made isn't perfect. I'm not sure I agree with the removal of the SD card slot, because I feel like just like the third three and a half millimeter headphone jack, it's not necessarily a clean win in every case. And, you know, I empathize with the frustration that Apple doesn't offer a 32 gigabyte option. But overall, I still think that it's a really, really strong update. And I think that it's the update heavy MacBook Pro customers were looking for. So where are we? Apple's MacBooks are increasingly pushing into the future and Apple's desktops continue to be increasingly neglected every day. Customers that are would traditionally buy desktop computers are feeling marginalized by Apple products and they're unable to find the right solution for them. And to be clear, I think it's not the fault of the customers for projecting their needs onto the Pro laptop line. You know, I think when a desktop class line isn't updated for three years, users have no choice but to do that. But I also think it's important to acknowledge that not everyone criticizes the MacBook Pro from the same perspective. Some criticize it from the point of view of desktop customers, and some from the perspective of previous MacBook Pro customers. And I believe the criticism from the perspective of MacBook Pro customers, like myself, is the criticism to listen to. Because we are more likely to judge the computer for the design goals it's designed to meet and not project desktop class needs onto it. Another big criticism that I saw surrounding the announcement of the new MacBook Pros are that they're not as good as what Microsoft is offering. And this criticism is largely spurred up because the day before the Apple event, Microsoft had this event where they announced a direct competitor to the iMac called the Surface Studio. It's a desktop with a 28-inch touchscreen that is precise enough that you can draw on. And especially because the Microsoft event directly preceded the Apple event, there were a bunch of comparisons made between the MacBook Pro with the touch bar to the Microsoft Surface Studio. And I don't think this is a very reasonable comparison to make. The MacBook Pro is a laptop with all the constraints that come with being a laptop, 
and the Surfing Studio is a desktop with lack of constraints that come with being a desktop. And the two products are designed to be used in different use cases in different environments. These products just aren't very comparable. But I think that there are fair comparisons that can be made, such as the one between a touch bar versus the full touch screen. And personally, I'm not sure one is necessarily better than the other. I think the, the idea of making the entire touch screen precise enough that you could draw on it is great but the majority of the benefits are really only realized by creatives and only when they're doing specific things, specifically drawing. And I think the potential benefits for more typical usage are of a more dubious value. Most apps on Windows, they're designed to be used with the mouse, not touch. And that makes the experience of interacting with apps on Windows either uncomfortable because the tap targets are too spread out or inconvenient because the tap targets are too small to reliably tap. And the touch bar doesn't suffer from poor usability because the GUI isn't designed to be touched. It has potentially a much broader appeal because it can be useful to a wider variety of people, designers, developers, photographers, musicians, maybe even iMessage lovers. You don't have to be a person who draws to enjoy the touch bar. I think another fair comparison that you could make is between the Surface Studio and the iMac. It's They're pretty similarly priced. The Surface Studio is within rock throwing distance of the iMac, although it is a little bit more expensive. And I think that it's amazing to see how much more the Surface Studio is able to offer for the iMac. You have this entire touchscreen that is capable of, of drawing on, and, and I've heard mixed things about the touchscreen, but for the most part, it is a good enough drawing touchscreen. And I think the industrial design is also really impressive. The Surface Studio has this really amazing zero gravity hinge that I've only ever heard good things about. And it gives it the, this 28 inch screen the capability of playing the role of an iMac or an Intuos tablet. And compared to the iMac design that hasn't changed much, it's, it's a really impressive design. And I think that the dial is also a really interesting input mechanism. I personally would love it when I'm editing this podcast being able to turn a dial to scrub through my, my my audio timeline makes it a lot easier because I usually try to keep it pretty zoomed in to the audio waveforms. And so that makes makes it such that I have to scroll a lot more, I have to scrub a lot more than you might typically have to. And the dial makes that kind of thing very easy. And I think there are a lot of other areas where having this dial would be a really interesting input mechanism. And I think with the Surface Studio, even when op apps aren't optimized to be used for the touchscreen, it's not as big a problem as it might be with the Surface Book because the sheer size of the screen will make even small tap targets easily touchable. That's it, the iMac does have better components. You know, we were talking about the 5K display in the iMac versus the 4K one in the Surface Studio, and the iMac has more pure SSD combinations. The Surface Studio is mostly, or I think it's all SSD and hard drive combinations, which are, I'm, I have a lot of thoughts about and I think the SSDs in the iMac are also much higher quality. On top of that, it's worth recognizing that the Surface products, they don't really have a great history. So it's questionable whether they can reliably pull off this hinge and, and the design overall. Another comparison that I think is pretty, pretty reasonable to make is between the Surface Book and the MacBook Pro. The specs are pretty comparable, but personally, I don't think that the experience is. I've had a lot of experience with a Surface Book. A friend of mine owns one and I use it on a pretty frequent basis, and I'm not sure that it's a really great experience. I haven't come away impressed. The hinge docking and undocking mechanism is very clunky. If you're like me and you use apps that take advantage of a discrete GPU, or if you or if you use apps that take a battery life, that, that suck up battery, then you can actually even undock the the screen without without quitting those applications, which for me is a, is a non-starter because I usually have 
hundreds of things going on and I, and I don't want to close it. So it makes a computer that's trying to be versatile, not really actually versatile, and you're getting this, this complicated hinge mechanism that you can't even take a, advantage of. And the battery life is also really not what, what's advertised. Unless you have a very light workload, you're going to come well, well under the battery life that's advertised. I think they advertise like a 20-hour battery life, and on typical usage with the Surface Book, I get something like five hours of battery life, which is it's a pretty hilarious difference. And I think the tablet portion of the Surface Book is also just not a very usable aspect ratio. It's either too tall when you're holding it in portrait mode or too wide when you're holding it in landscape mode. It's really only good for watching movies. Not great. It's not great for really doing much else with it. And again, the screen is smaller, so the tap targets are pretty hard to touch reliably, unless you're interacting with it using a Surface Pen. And speaking of the Surface Pen, the pen input is just not very accurate which is a pretty big problem on a screen that's small. When a screen is much smaller, you tend to write much smaller in order to get more in on one page. And so if when you're writing smaller, you need a lot more precision. And the Surface, uh, the Surface Book doesn't have a lot of precision. It has a lower sampling rate than the iPad Pro, and it's hard to draw or hard to write very precisely. And on top of that, the SSD performance on the Surface Book is, is not very great. And I think, again, the touchscreen benefits, apart from the pen, are pretty dubious. My friend who owns the Surface Book, he almost exclusively interacts with the screen using the trackpad because the tap targets aren't built for a touch. Personally, when I think about the, the quality of the Surface Book and how, how much advantage I was able to take use of it, I would much rather have the combination of an iPad Pro and a MacBook Pro. There are plenty of great apps that are available for both the Mac and the iPad, so you can... For example, I can write on the iPad and there are plenty of apps that sync that up to the Mac and I can access those on the Mac. And I feel like when you have that, you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting a very versatile, purpose-built tablet and you're getting a purpose-built computer. And the sync is pretty rock solid these days, so I don't think that they're switching between the two is really even much of a problem. That said... I do know people who, who enjoy the experience of the Surface Book and would not get the experience they want from a iPad plus MacBook Pro combination. Um, I'll link to this YouTube video I saw. It's from Mr. Mobile. And he had some really positive thoughts on the Surface Book and not so positive thoughts on the new MacBook Pro. And I think it's an interesting perspective that's worth looking at. He's a professional video editor or video creator. And, you know, he has a very, I think, very unique perspective that's worth recognizing. Another comparison that I saw is between Windows and Mac OS. And personally, I think I have a lot of very specific criticisms about Windows. I don't think it is even anywhere close to the experience of macOS. I don't think that it's even comparable. But what I tell people who ask, who sort of tell me that they don't, they want to switch to Windows, is I tell them to just do it. It's pretty easy to switch to Windows regardless of what computer you're using. Try it. And if you love it, I, I'm, it's, that's great. I'm, I'm happy for you. Enjoy not many gazillion dollars on computers, but I just don't think it's really comparable. And I had a lot of specific, I had a lot of specific uh, reasons for why that is, but I think it can be pretty easily summed up by a couple sentences from Marco Arment's article 
uh, world without the Mac Pro, uh, where he sort of where he's talking about why he wants a Mac Pro, but he also makes a great case for why Mac OS is a lot more superior to Microsoft, uh, Microsoft Windows. And I just want to read a couple of sentences from his article. Microsoft is boldly experimenting with PC hardware, but Windows and everything around Windows is woefully inferior to Mac OS and the Mac software ecosystem. Even if Microsoft did everything right, it would take Windows at least a decade to catch up, and they won't do everything right. We don't want to leave the Mac. We came here, built here, and stayed here all of this time because Macs are truly awesome computers, and Mac OS is the best operating system in the world. It's the only pro-grade, workstation-class operating system that has ever been easy to use and nice enough that we wanted to spend more time at our workstations. Technology changes, markets change, and people change, but some moments in history are uniquely high points that will never quite be matched. The world has never seen anything like macOS, and nothing will truly replace it. If we're forced to move to something else, it will be painfully, inescapably, and perpetually worse. And quite frankly, on the Windows versus macOS argument, I couldn't have said it better myself. While the majority of the criticism around the new MacBook Pros was centered around comparisons to Microsoft's products, and people perceiving that the MacBook Pro isn't pro enough, that there are still a number of smaller points of criticism that I think are worth addressing. And one of these smaller points of criticism is, is related to this idea of technology transition costs. So with this new MacBook Pro, Apple has phased out a number of ports. They phased out the SD card slot, USB-A and Thunderbolt in favor of USB-C and USB-C Thunderbolt. And the result is that some people need adapters. And they're, they're upset about it. And there's no way to mince words about this, about what I'm about to say, but... If you're not okay with transition costs, if you expect every single jack that you need to be on your Mac, and you're not okay, you're not okay with occasionally needing an adapter, then the Mac is not the right computer for you. And that's okay, but you need to realize that virtually every evolution of the Mac design has come with transition costs. And the switch from USB-A to USB-C, the removal of the SD card slot, it's just another one of them. I also wanted to address, address the criticism of the fact that the price of the MacBook Pro has increased. It's increased by a significant amount, uh, a pretty significant amount. For example, the 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro, it's increased around $500 to $700 from where I stand. And I have a small story about this. Um, so... I have a 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro, and I got into this category by buying a year-old refurbished model. Basically, I could barely afford to get into the 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro category. And if anyone is hit hard by this price increase, it's me. And let me tell you, it sucks. If I had to get a new computer today with the same budget that I had when I bought my mid-2014 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro, I would probably be forced to go with a mid-spec 13-inch or wait a year or two and get a refurb, just like I did with my current computer. But Apple products have never been cheap, and, and it just comes with the territory. I think a reasonable discussion to have about this price increase is what am I getting for the extra $500 to $700? And I think that a spec bump doesn't warrant a 500 to $700 price increase, but there are things, there are a lot of things that you get that you didn't get before. You're getting this touch bar. On the 15 inch, you're getting discrete GPUs as standard. You're getting the ability to power 5K displays, two with the 15 inch. You're getting the DCI-P3 color gamut support. You're getting Touch ID, and you're getting this incredible T1 chip that the eyesight is now routed through. For me, the discrete GPU, the touch bar, and the Touch ID make it pretty easy to eat the price increase. But I, I do empathize with the people who don't feel the same way. And I think something worth noting is that a lot of the people who I saw complaining about the price, they weren't intending on purchasing it as their main machine. Many were intending to keep it as a portable machine in addition to their desktop. And I think in that context, it is a pretty expensive machine. 
But for most of us, we're buying it as our primary work machine. And when we can afford it, I think that most of us would easily eat the cost difference.